masses are needed Because we become the pulse of the revolution In the ranks of the masses rising Get up, get up, your voices are needed Become, become the pulse of the revolution In the ranks of the masses rising This is a call to actions It's great to be back with you guys here uh, back in the studio, and this is actually podcast number 50, and it's great to make our our even number 50 a, a good one here. And we, uh, we're going to continue our investigation into the gaseous diffusion plants, or the Cold War uranium-235 enrichment plants, and this time we're aiming our sight at the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant. And here, uh, this is our first time we're actually broadcasting live on Wisdom. It's, uh, it's actually a new application that uh, that podcast hosts use to collaborate with other podcasts. And it's pretty much just the hosts of, of podcasts, not really uh, much of the general uh, population so we got a good crowd on wisdom and if you want to download that just go to the app store and look for wisdom app you'll see what looks like a silhouette of of einstein wearing headphones anyways it is october 24th 2022 and i am your host bobby vaughn jr investigative journalist with a call to actions and yes Episode number 50 here. I want to introduce our special guest today on number 50. Guest today is none other than a Cold War nuclear whistleblower. His name is George Johnson. He is a former environmental restoration waste coordinator. And we're talking about radioactive waste, not just your regular yard waste. He, he worked at the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant. And here, we're just going to get it going and uh, let George speak. And uh, I just want to say, hey, George, it's been a long time. How are you? Hey, Bobby, I'm fine. That's good. That's good. There aren't too many of you guys still alive. Um, what no. <laughs> Eh, well, yeah, what I mean are uh, Cold War, Cold War plant um, nuclear whistleblowers. So, uh, George, thank you so much for being on a call to actions. Glad to be here. Yes, yes. So, as we're continuing this investigation into the gaseous diffusion plants and the the front end, the front end of the uh, nuclear. Um, enrichment process or the uranium-235 enrichment processes uh, let's just start from the very beginning um, okay when did you start working at the Paducah gaseous diffusion plant I started working there uh, in uh, 19 and Nanny, mm -hmm. and and continued there to uh, two thousand and three, April two thousand three. Okay. 
the exact there for so for 23 years okay 93 did you work at any at any other uranium processing plants or nuclear facilities uh, I think it was 13 years did you get <laughs> right yeah 13 yeah, you're right yeah <laughs> 13 years I don't think I could have lived yeah. that long to manage that with right. what I was seeing going on yeah right yeah you're right 13 years not 23 years uh, did you work at any other facilities uh, did you work across the river at the the Honeywell plant or any other plants no I had uh, some you know, just uh, casuals, uh, uh, crosswork with them based on the waste that we handled and so forth. But, uh, yeah. I, this was the only uh, nuclear facility that I worked at. Okay. Yeah, so starting in 1990, did, did they put you into the uh, the environmental restoration nuclear waste coordinator position like right when you started work at the plant? No. No, no I, I first went to the uh, uh, plant waste management department and mm -hmm. then uh, uh, Lynn Whitehead uh, who wound up going back to East Tennessee uh, held the position, but Lynn didn't have any real background uh, in uh, uh, the uh, nuclear waste requirements, and so uh, he he went back to his old job, if I'm not mistaken, at okay. uh, Oak Ridge, mm. and uh, and uh, that's when. Uh, uh, I got the job. Okay. All right. Yeah, 1990. That was uh, you were you were getting into the plant at a pretty important time. Here. Oh uh, yes. Just a few years later, after that, we'll we'll talk about what started to happen in 1993. But um, when you first started out at the plant. Um, did everything seem all right to you? I'm sure it was a really good paying job. And that's it, pretty much... For the area, it was a good paying job. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I pretty much had to go on what they were saying, uh, uh, what I was being fed mm -hmm. by uh, my management out there uh, when I... I first worked in the regular plant waste waste management, uh, picking up the plant trash and so forth. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, then when uh, the uh, division was made uh, between the uh, Management and the plant waste management. 
then the position came on open that Lynn Whitehead had, had held in the uh, ER portion and uh, environmental restoration ER, that's right? correct okay. and, and uh, I applied for that and, and got the job alright yeah so I'm sure you're really happy about that definitely a promotion and uh, started making more money right though, though oh yeah the, the money is I know this as a fact, you know, living in Metropolis, just right across the river, um, the the money is is really why why most people go to work out at the, the nu- these nuclear processing plants. Um, and well, were you trained retrained up front when you first came in on what? you were going to be exposed to? What radioactive isotopes you were going to be exposed to? Uh, yeah, in, in general, and, uh, but uh, it was interesting. The transuranics were kind of left out of that. And uh, transuranics being uh, trans transformed uh, uranium isotopes. That's kind of what transuranics yes. stands yeah. for. Right. Right. And what you mean by transuranics are isotopes like, uh, or elements like, like what? Plutonium, Neptunium, uh, let's see. Like americium. Like americium. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, any of the daughter products of the uh, uh, enrichment process mm-hmm. uh, were were what was not really uh, they dwelt on that yeah. much. They they didn't really tell you. They they probably told you that all right. So what you're doing is you're serving your country, and, and for the sake of national security, we got to take yes. we got to take this uranium and make it even better. We gotta oh, yeah. we gotta concentrate this valuable two thirty five isotope uranium two thirty five for national security purposes, and um, yes, um, both in making nuclear bombs and as well as supplying uranium for nuclear power plants so um, that from what I've heard from others as well and uh, this is this is this goes throughout the entire nuclear weapons complex and the, uh-huh. the entire uranium uh, processing complex uh, is that's pretty much all they're told is that they're going to be working with uranium they're not really told the true health effects of uranium and they're definitely not told including yourself you know you're a witness to it um, that they did not tell you guys as workers that you are going to be exposed to and working with handling breathing in and ingesting uh, through normal just normal breathing um, uh, more toxic and more radioactive substances like plutonium. That's correct, and and we weren't told where we were most likely to uh, come across those within the plant. 
Uh, you know, you kind of learn that over time. Uh, where those uh, were, and uh, uh, most of those were uh, uh, different omitters of radioactive radioactivity uh, than uh, than the uh, standard uranium right right and it takes just a tiny little particle of plutonium to, to kill somebody and, but they they weren't really too concerned about that just as long as they could get get by um, with government approval and make their make their products. Um, so, when did you when did you start to notice that there were some some problems that you didn't agree with? Well, when uh, when I went over from the uh, plant side, the production side. Uh, over to the ER side mm-hmm. and I began to get a- educated uh, on the differences of the product uh, I began to realize that uh, I, I think it's like I said to myself wait a minute here <laughs> the, mm-hmm. there's something being left out Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't feel like I was getting a full education, and uh, so I started differences. And uh, started what? I'm sorry, I didn't couldn't hear you. Making notes of the differences mm-hmm. and and asking questions uh, of my fellow workers. And uh, uh, getting direct information from them, and I felt like I got a a better grasp of what I was dealing with right. than what the government was trying to tell me. Right. And so uh, I started paying a lot closer attention to that. And as a waste coordinator, um, or you said ER, that's Environmental Restoration Waste Coordinator, uh-huh. right. uh, you, were, you were being exposed to a lot of stuff. I could put, oh, it, put, yes. put it easily that you were being exposed to a lot of stuff, and some of which they wouldn't want you to know what it was. Um, that's kind of the way it was. Right. <laughs> Environmental Restoration uh, Radioactive Waste Coordinator. Um, again, if anybody, anybody's just listening in right now or tuning in, we're here with the nuclear whistleblower George Johnson, a former worker at the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant located in Paducah, Kentucky. Um, so what year, what year was it when you really started to notice these these issues, your eyes started to really open up. Probably somewhere in the uh, 92 range. 
Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, it wasn't like I just all of a sudden turned it on. It, it yeah. took me a while to to recognize that, hey, wait a minute, I'm, I'm being fed a, a government line of studs. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I started having to put together uh, a truer image of what I was dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you were getting close at this time to 1993, which was a really significant date, a really significant year in, uh, in not just nuclear plant history in the U.S., but really a really important year in world history. Uh-huh. where the Paducah gaseous diffusion plant and the Portsmouth gaseous diffusion plant, as well as the, the allied chemical plant in Metropolis, Illinois, started uh, receiving certain shipments under a deal entitled uh, Megatons to Megawatts. Uh, can you talk about what, what that deal really entailed? involved in the, the contract part at that time, right. but uh, I knew that it was a big thing to the plant, and it, it was what uh, their uh, bonuses uh, were based on, mm. is uh, the uh, conversion of This was a deal between who? who? Who was? Who were the two main parties involved in this this deal that started in 1993? Uh, well, it would have been uh, the U.S. and uh, the Soviet Union. Right. And here, just recently, are people um, becoming concerned about the United States? Um, deals and um, workings with Russia when it comes to, to uranium. But all the way back in 1993 was, was the U.S. already working with and establishing business contracts and working relationships with the Russian uranium mob or Russian uranium agencies. And uh, uh, it was a developing thing, and, and as I found out later, uh, there were large sums of money being made in these deals uh, uh, by our politicians. Mm. Yeah, 
they got to get their dirty little fingers in it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the you know United States um, relations, working relationships with Russia's uh, atomic agencies, uh, Tanex, uh, Taxon of Export, and Rosatom. Um, it was supposed to have ended here uh, not too long ago, but although um, although the United States had cut off the imports of Russian energy products like petroleum. Uh, they, for some reason, the U.S. did not uh, did not cut off Russian uranium imports into the U.S. I think it's a little confusing right now, but I think they may have finally cut cut that off. For but that's just up front. Uh, like I said, and I was using this this uh, these words uh, uh, pinpointingly is. Uh, working relationships with with individuals in russian atomic agencies and the u.s has been something's kind of loud over there um but um you know the u.s established these working relationship relationships with certain people in these atomic agencies in russia it's tough for me to believe that they are willing to cut off their connections. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, they didn't really cut anything off. Uh, they, uh, I think, Mitch McConnell was a uh, a, a big player. Mm-hmm. on our side in the development of these prog- programs. Oh, yeah. And I think Mitch recognized that there was large sums of money to be made out of it. Absolutely. And so he, he did. Uh, you know, he, mm-hmm. he worked, I think, overtime on, on making sure that uh, we got our fair share of the cut and in the process mm-hmm. uh, he got his fair share yeah um, when when the Paducah gaseous diffusion plant uh, began processing Russian product uranium um, did plant operations change did, did you notice any getting an echo um, did you notice any any changes in the way the plant was operated? Well, yeah, uh, they uh, they had uh, a program uh, that they emphasized in the plant from uh, uh, megatons to megawatts, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, the way that they made their money was uh, on uh, uh, the uh, project in- incentives. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was a that was a big big changing point. Incentives, um, performance based incentives. 
or yes. or receiving receiving um, extra money or allowance uh, more money based off of how good of work you do. And yeah. when it comes to PBI, performance-based incentives, or just incentives, um, would you say that a, that a plant like Paducah Gash's diffusion plant was willing to lie in order to receive those incentives? In my mind, yes. But it's not just a plant. These are people. These are people. Plants. Running these programs. Right. Individuals making up decisions, yes. That's correct. And uh, uh, that would have gone through plant management and uh, all the way down through uh, uh, their... I wouldn't say field management, but it related to uh, the supervisors and uh, uh, how they ran that business in order to uh, generate the kind of uh, performance bonuses that they were looking to get. Right. Right. And you're still in the environmental restoration waste coordinator division at the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant at the time. Uh, when it came to the the waste that you were handling or processing, let's just go into that little groove for a second. Um, what, what type of job processes um, did you perform as, as your role in environmental restoration waste coordination? Well, um, The waste was uh, characterized and and uh, uh, and the product was uh, characterized and and uh, uh, was not classified is the word that I'm looking for. The waste, the waste uh, was classified once it got to you, okay? Yeah. It was classified by the uh, waste operations uh, uh, people who ran uh, the different programs for the different types of waste. In other words, uh, was it radioactive? Was it hazardous? Was it PCB-related waste? Mm-hmm. Uh, so by the time it came over to the uh, ER side, uh, they had they had classified the waste based on that, and it was sent. anything to do with that uh, in the beginning my my 
my process was to see that uh, it was sent to the different uh, uh, divisions mm-hmm. uh, for proper classification. Right. In other words, uh, I think at that time, uh, Debbie Smith was the PCB coordinator. PCB, uh, that's uh, polychlorinated biphenyls, which is okay, a, right. a hazardous uh, carcinogenic toxic chemical waste, right? Yeah. That's correct. Okay, what was her name? Debbie something? Debbie Smith. Debbie Smith, okay. Yes, yes, and go on. Then, and then Richard Keene handled the hazardous waste. Mm-hmm. And then the... Uh, there was any uh, intentional mischaracterization of the waste? Well, I, I don't think there was anything intentional mm-hmm. at that level, uh, but uh, obviously there was some vast input, input, input from upper management on how certain ways needed to be classified and uh, I, I can't tell you right off the top of my head uh, any one specific one of those mm-hmm. but what I did find and what really bothered me as I went along this little road to, to uh, disposal was uh, mm-hmm. we, we didn't really keep good records of how things were kept, how they were managed. And uh, there were a lot of things that uh, I think I was helpful in pointing out uh, weaknesses that their programs had uh, in order to do that. And uh, uh, over time, uh, that was uh, became the biggest thing to make sure that uh, the uh, rules and the uh, regulations were being properly followed. Yeah, yeah, especially in a plant that handles radioactive substances. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it would be really important to have written procedures 
and uh, properly documented uh, management techniques and procedures and, and ways ways to handle this material and how to perform your job correctly. That's one thing I've, I've noticed as well uh, throughout the, uh, the front end of the uh, uranium hexafluoride processing complex is, is a really bad trend in from the top down, from the management down, uh, miscommunication or just a lack of record keeping uh, and procedures, yeah. procedures in, in operating your the job roles correctly. Well, it, it, and what it all boiled down to, or uh, mm -hmm. balled up to, was uh, mm -hmm. uh, proper uh, tracking of the handling of that waste. Uh, what what I found when I came over, we, we were finding drums of waste that were generated under these uh, projects, the major projects of phase one and phase two mm -hmm. uh, uh, projects that uh, no one was really keeping up with the uh, uh, way that the subcontractors were interpreting the contract and how it was handled, how it was being applied uh, in the different areas. So, um, was, were, it was became it? a big issue. Yeah, when these drums, we can talk about the drums just for a second. I heard you heard you bring that up. Um, and when you mean when you say drums, you mean uh, radioactive and or uh, chemical product or waste that yes. pretty much like big soda cans, right? Uh, yeah. Right. Fifty five gallon, fifty five gallon drums, cylinders, filled drums, yeah, or barrels. Yeah, right. Um, and there was a liquid ones were uh, called 17 E's, and uh, solid waste was called uh, 17 C. Mm -hmm. And sadly, Not all waste is disposed of uh, in an on-site landfill or uh, no. or uh, trafficked to a disposal facility. How uh, how is waste disposed of generally? And then you could speak on liquid waste and then solid waste. Let's just say first liquid. How's how's liquid waste generally disposed of? Radioactive. Well. Uh, a lot of it uh, went uh, 
uh, uh, through the outfall ditch, um, which mm. which went directly to the Ohio River. Holy and uh, uh, if it was not classified as a uh, uh, non-disposable or, or, for instance, a, a PCB or um, a uh, uh, like hazardous or radioactive, hazardous or yeah. radioactive waste, mm-hmm. uh, it was just sent uh, and uh, filtered and uh, handled through the d- uh, disposal uh, dumping out the outfall ditch. Outfall ditch, yeah. Um, and the uh, these outfall ditches, some of them I've seen in in the case of the Metropolis Honeywell plant, some of them aren't even lined. Some of them don't have any concrete lining around them. They're just like they're just creeks, pretty much. They're creeks, yeah. I mean, they they leak their contaminants into the soil uh, whatever they were and uh, uh, whatever level they were which you know they had to be before they dumped that into a ditch it was already determined as being uh, sanitary Hmm. which is the non uh, radioactive or, or right. non-PCB or non-hazardous uh, and uh, those uh, the way that, that was determined was left up to the uh, uh, individual waste coordinator uh, mm-hmm. and this was on the plant side yeah. before it was sent over to ER uh, uh, to go through that process. Uh, so, uh, quick question here. Okay. Is there a possibility that inside management would want some of this waste to be discharged through their outfall out to the Ohio River uh, so they didn't have to ship it off site and dispose of it because it would wouldn't have been in specification. Um, what I mean to anyone who is not familiar with this, money this type of language is, my, I guess my question would be, is it possible that in order for the man, some of the managers at the Paducah gaseous diffusion plant to cover up how radioactive some of the nuclear waste was, they would illegally discharge it into the Ohio River or bury it somewhere else in order to cover up uh, really how radioactive it is because they would they would have to send it to a third party uh, burial site or uh, you know like um, Yucca Mountain somewhere so do you think they would intentionally discharge this stuff to the river as a way to cover up something? You see where I'm going with that? I, I can see that, and I can say, yes, that would be a possibility, but they would do, do everything within their power to keep it from being known as that being done. Mm. 
so, uh, but uh, I never saw anybody admit to anything like that. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I do. I do. I do like the facts. I do love the facts, but also during an investigation, you know, we do have to. We do have to think theoretically too, in order to, to really think about what the bad guys would do. Sometimes I love oh, yeah. the I love the facts though, and the uh, the witness testimonies more, especially from workers. Um, let's see, so what type of did you deal mostly with solid waste in your job, or I, I dealt once I went to the ER side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dealt with. Uh, uh, all types, uh, and the uh, ones that were classified uh, were were stored uh, uh, in the ER facility as being whatever they were characterized as, yeah. and the disposal part, uh, if it was determined that it was. Uh, uh, non-hazardous, non-PCP, non-radioactive, uh, it would be disposed of uh, uh, in accordance with, with sanitary waste to how, how the sanitary waste were handled. Mm-hmm. How often was, was liquid waste, liquid radioactive waste, discharged to the Ohio River? Was, it, was this an everyday thing? regular standard operating procedure mm-hmm. but it had to be filtered first right <laughs> right well it, it was uh, uh, through uh, the uh, uh, carbon filtration process the, like N- NPDES national pollution discharge elimination system thing yeah yeah those are just little, little, little buildings, aren't they? Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, it's uh, like <clears throat> there was C four hundred was uh, a big part of the plant treatment process, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, then as you had a the ER side taking over uh, their own uh, disposal projects, treatment system, uh, and uh, uh, there was a fellow that they used to uh, walk winery, I believe was Walt's name, brilliant man, hmm. uh, and. Uh, he uh, he designed or, or uh, recommended purchases of certain types of equipment to achieve that disposal level. Yeah, uh, they followed that direction there. Mm. And uh, Walt, I, I always uh, really admired his work. He, he was just 
me was a genius and uh, a, but a very plain spoken individual yeah very straightforward mm-hmm. and uh, I would have trusted Walt with about anything that he had his hands on mm-hmm. Well, uh, of so you were there for thirteen years, and we're we're you've already disclosed quite a bit here. Though, are, are there a few issues, uh, problems, uh, bad practices, as the plants like to call them, or illegal procedures? Uh, anything? Uh, let's just keep it at a good solid. Either two or three things that you witnessed that you seen that was like of high concern that really bothers you still to this day that you know happened? Well, there were quite a few things that bothered me. Of course, that's what I spent a lot of my time doing. And, and uh, uh, my concerns were usually captured in the form of an email to to a... Uh, uh, management higher up and uh, uh, usually after the division was made in what 1998 uh, the uh, uh, different coordinators that were appointed that job under the, the new divisions uh, that were created uh, when the take, takeover was made, when the, uh, oh, there was a name for that contract, and I can't remember the name of it, but uh, anyhow, they... Uh, They were told uh, how to deal with that that waste and where it went through, and then where it was stored, mm-hmm. or where it was sent for disposal or final treatment. Uh, and uh, I don't know that. I'd have to look at how a lot of that developed. Uh, were there were there two or three things that any two or three issues that you're aware of that you believe were really bad um, that the plant did that you're aware of? Well, yeah. One thing was uh, just the uh, uh, waste identification processes, the tracking of the waste materials all the way from beginning to disposal. Uh, I didn't think they had a good uh, uh, quality uh, program in place for, for being able to track all of that. Mm, um, yeah. It, it was 
it was very difficult to follow that waste from beginning to end and and then how it was stored where mm-hmm. it was stored and uh, that type of thing mm-hmm. all right did you did you ever witness any any jetting or uh, or intentional radioactive gas releases no like on the I never witnessed firsthand those mm-hmm. things there was always the, the midnight uh, rumor that I heard uh, were uh, right. they were uh, disposed of the uh, gases. Those are yeah, mid, midnight midnight negatives. Yes. And uh, it's actually mentioned in in a Department of Energy document, uh, independent investigation. Midnight negatives refers to using the jets at night to accelerate the attainment of an adequate uranium hexafluoride negative to support a planned opening of isolated process gas equipment. Depending on the pressure, temperature, and concentration of UF6 in a cascade cell when jetting was initiated, and assuming that the concentration had been reduced by at least one-tenth through purging and evacuation pumps, up to several thousand pounds of uranium hexafluoride still have been available for release to the environment from a single cascade cell. As with normal jetting, the UF6 gas would hydrolyze with moist air to, to form uranium dioxidifluoride powder and hydrogen fluoride gas. The number and frequency of these inappropriate releases were not determined during that investigation. Um, some current and former operators were aware of rumors about a about or participated in midnight negatives as related to the team. An operator would be sent to the roof in the middle of the night with a half-mile lantern to report when the plume of white smoke stopped issuing from the jet exhaust, thereby signifying a satisfactory uranium hexafluoride negative. So that went on for for a long time. I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk to someone who participated in this. Yeah, Whoever. right off the top of my head, I don't know of anybody that that's directly participated in that. Right. Uh, and uh, of course, as time went on, and the uh, uh, authorities got more involved in, in managing how that plant was operated, uh, I'm I'm sure that a lot of that was eliminated. But right. I don't know. I, I'm not that familiar with their program. To, to yeah. All right. Yeah, you disclose quite a bit here. It's uh, it's pretty shocking to know how routinely the plant discharged of radioactive. Oh yeah. Um, material through their yeah. outfalls. 
Uh, well, and I, I know people that live uh, downwind of those discharges. Uh, the uh, mm-hmm. all the roads over there on the uh, east side of the plant. Yeah. Uh, Bradford Road, for instance. I, I know that there was uh, uh, some work done on that and determining how many people on that side had uh, become uh, uh, exposed. Cancer. Yeah, cancer bearing. Mm-hmm. And and like Bradford Road had twenty one some odd houses located on end from uh from the uh uh oh shoot uh, the roads that went north and south that connected uh was connected by Bradford Road, there was something like 21 houses on that road, and it was determined that uh, uh, 19 of those 21 uh, had households with cancer. Ah, holy moly, that, that doesn't surprise me, but that uh, that's... Uh... That's a crime against humanity, what this plan Well, sure it is. I mean... <laughs> yeah. If you look at a map, anyone who, who has any type of uh, mapping system, like uh, Google Maps, whatever, now, nah, uh-huh. I, uh, I don't recommend people use Google, but uh, anybody who has any kind of map, look at look for the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant. And Paducah is spelled P-A-D-U-C-A-H. Paducah right. gaseous right. diffusion plant, and look how close houses are. Look how close these houses were built around the plant. The the plant kind of reminds me, uh, in comparison to the human body, kind of reminds me of a of a cancerous tumor, just uh, uh, just sticking out right there on the outskirts of Paducah, Kentucky. Though. Though the radioactive discharges weren't just localized to houses and people living within a short radius of the plant, oh, no. the stuff they they would jet the stuff out through the tops of the process building, and right. you know any leaks would be carried wherever the wind took it, and right. um, we know that you know living there. Uh, Paducah, Paducah is in Tornado Alley, as it's called. Uh, there, yeah. there are some pretty gnarly thunderstorms and high winds that come through the Paducah area. So the stuff didn't just stay around Paducah. It was dispersed oh, no. throughout probably a 75-mile radius of the plant, uh-huh. probably. I'm not, yeah. kidding, not kidding there with that estimate. Well, no, you're not. And then to go along with that uh, with the uh, uh, gaseous discharge you had the waste disposal which uh, would have been uh, 
supposed non-toxic waste and they had landfills and so forth all the way around uh, that area uh, that that really weren't managed properly. Yeah. The, you know. With the, with the plant, uh, do you know if they would they would take stuff to just local landfills of, uh, say, like dirt from the plant or just like regular regular trash or waste and uh, put it in just regular containers and not mark it radioactive or non-hazardous? Yeah. You know I mean? there, would, there would have been that to have occurred. Yeah. Uh, and uh, small dump trucks uh, where they would dig up uh, areas of the plant, uh, the uh, soils would have come from around the discharge ditches and uh, mm-hmm. uh, would have had a high probability of being contaminated. Yeah. Uh, they were they were loaded in. Uh, small dump trucks and uh, uh, carried off site oh. to those areas and dumped. Wow. Uh, and mm. this thing that has become a big issue here just recently of uh, where they found uh, radioactive uh, waste from in St. Louis area. Yeah. Just, just been on the news here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had something very similar here in Paducah, and we reported that. Right. Oh, you're talking uh, talking about the uh, uh, radiation, radioactive particles being found in a school in St. Louis, right? Yeah. And now, yeah, and you're talking and about we, schools around Paducah. We had a school here, which uh, my uh, stepchildren had gone to mm-hmm. uh, and where waste had been uh, dumped uh, they let, used some of it as a uh, backfill uh, oh. where they had dug on the uh, uh, north side of, uh, of the school there mm-hmm. uh, uh, elementary school Elementary and, and, and buried several tons of dirt, used it as backfill. Wow. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, that was, uh, we we pointed that out. I, I made an issue of that. And uh, we introduced it to. Uh, to the board and uh, nothing was ever done. Hmm. That's a big problem. Let me let me make sure I heard you correctly. They they took uh, radioactive dirt from the Paducah gaseous diffusion plant, loaded it up, and for some reason uh, use it as backfill at a local elementary school. Yeah. That's shocking. East Elementary. 
Heath Elementary School. That's spelled uh, H-E-A-T-H. Elementary uh, School. Wow. Well, we're going to look into that a little more and get it exposed. Um, usually, local officials don't do anything with, with these huge, huge issues. Um, it takes conversations like this and uh, oh, yeah. people coming together and collaborating. Uh, people who've seen things, uh, people who are sick and tired of, of all the cover-ups and the, the intentional uh, crimes against humanity in our local communities. Oh, yeah. Um, it takes just a few people who are fed up in uniting to, to really bring um, forth some, some really good results. It, it, it takes the unity. So, yeah. Um, so Gary, I. Gary is familiar with that because uh, he and I went out there when the uh, projects were prefer- performing a, uh, a characterization of the soils and so forth out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were. Uh, they were digging down like six inches. You're talking about they, they were they were analyzing the dirt at the school, right? They were. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we pointed out to them that they were missing, uh, probably hitting the soil that was used to backfill on the uh, north side of the of the school. The, the, Along, uh, uh, oh, what's the name of that road? Is is ran between uh, East High School and uh, and the elementary school. Yeah. And uh, uh, they just kind of blew that off. Well, you said they were digging only six inches down in order to, yeah. to, to... They were acting like they were concerned. They didn't want to find anything. If they would have dug, if they would have dug a couple feet, they might have found that's, something. That's correct. But if they would have found something, they would have been obligated to report on it and do something about it. That's correct. Who's... who's Doing this, who was uh, performing this uh, this quote analysis? Well, uh, it was done in conjunction with the ER program, the Environmental uh, Restoration, I, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I'm trying to think who, who ran that. But it was the plant, right? The plant went but out there. But it was tied to the plant. And, uh, uh, was it like the Department of Natural? It wouldn't have been Department of Natural Resources. I'm wondering. No. It would have been no. a local local governing agency, right? Probably. Well, yeah. And uh, and uh, I'm trying to think who conducted that uh, mm-hmm. little deal. It was. Uh, If, uh, if, I'd if, have to look at records to, to, to yeah. I, 
If you can remember that, let me know. Yeah, that's pretty important. Um, yeah. Because it's still there, that, that, that radioactive dirt is still there, right? Still at the heat. Oh, belt. yeah, it'll still be there. Radioactive on dirt the, at a local on the elementary the north end of uh, the uh, elementary school mm -hmm. there. Well, what, what happened, what's currently going on in St. Louis where they found radiation inside of a local school in St. Louis, we need to do a proper forensic uh, investigation, a radiochemical forensic investigation of the Paducah gaseous diffusion plants uh, outlying schools. Uh, uh. The schools, the schools in Paducah and the surrounding areas need need to be investigated for radiation. Well, the heat one for sure. I'd say, I'd say, as well as Metropolis, we're going to be working on yeah. that one. But, well, I know we've done a thing over at Metropolis. Uh, uh, Gary uh, pointed it out to him, you know, and they yeah. uh, they found uh, transuranics over there. And, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. I don't think this went anywhere beyond where we had, had reported it at Heath Elementary. And, uh, they had enough, they would have had enough, uh, physical information there to have seen, uh, that uh, they were disposing improperly of this waste. Absolutely. First of all, taking it off site and burying it just somewhere oh. is is, yeah. is a would be improper disposal. But they, for some reason, selected an an elementary school to bury radioactive dirt on. Yeah. Crimes against humanity. Yeah. With, with their um um. Wow, yeah, I'm just blown away just thinking about that. <laughs> Something's going to be done about that. I, I have to say that Paducah is next on the list of class action lawsuits. Uh-huh. Alright, so, yes, George Johnson, nuclear whistleblower. Former environmental restoration waste coordinator at the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant. Worked there from 1990 until 2003. Witnessed environmental crimes, crimes against humanity, and is still alive to disclose the story. First-hand witness, George Johnson, nuclear whistleblower. I want to thank you for your service to humanity, George. If there's uh, something else you'd like to say before we head off of this conversation?
What's your uh, illness? What is it? It's uh, related to the. Uh, uh, oh yeah, what's it called? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked me because I've said it so many times. I I, I can't say it right off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's terrible. Um, that's all right. But anyhow, it's uh, it's related to the the brain and the way they identify it positively is when they do their uh, 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 oh their uh, has to do with uh, with the brain though some type of neuro neurological issue. working together um, let me know if there's anything that you left out that you can remember uh, okay. all you got to do is give me a call and if it's something that you want to disclose on the record you know we can do a quick recording you know we don't have to go for an hour we can right. it doesn't matter we could go for one two minutes five minutes ten minutes whatever you know I don't sure. <laughs> it's, uh, just me and my wife so uh, I want to thank I you George Thank you, George, for your disclosure, and uh, thanks for thank you for for being strong enough to live through it all and be able to uh, to speak about it. Well, uh, I was always taught uh, that uh, the truth is the best way, and uh, I, I I could get caught up in a lot of that stuff that I saw, and. Uh, uh, so I always tried to point that out and I know several years after, uh, in, uh, where we testified in 92 before the, uh, uh, grand jury, mm -hmm. uh, 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 and I were called upon to do that and I got to testify. Mm -hmm. And that was one of 
of the things that I tried to point out was that, hey, things aren't being done the way that they say they're being done. And uh, right. uh, that's uh, that was a big issue to me. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, we will stay in touch. George Johnson, yeah. nuclear whistleblower. We'll stay in touch, all right? Take care. Please do. All right.